she has that done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray for Mrs. Brown, and we ask you, dear God, we thank you for already taking care of her and watching over But we ask you, dear God, if she has this procedure done, that you guide the doctor's hands and protect her body and take care of her, dear Lord, and we'll praise you for it. Now, in Jesus' name, amen. I was trying to stay in our teaching and preaching for this week especially. Started last week and about the birth of the Lord. I got to study in this part and I know it might not sound like uh, part of the birth of the Lord, but if you would please, I want to read in Mark chapter 9, verse 1. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth him up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias, or Elijah, with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he wished not what what to say, for they were so afraid. There was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man any more save Jesus only with themselves. And as they were come down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. Father, would you bless the reading and studying of thy word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was studying through this week and reading about the birth of Christ and uh, the lowly entrance into this world that Jesus came in this world. And then I got over here in this part of the scripture and I got to reading where Jesus wanted to show his deity and his glory. Uh, before he left this earth and went back to heaven. And this scene is also recorded in Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13, and Luke 9, verse 28 through 36. There are are also two other times in the New Testament that this scene is referred to in part. John 1, verse 14. John said, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now that's the birth of the Lord Jesus. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16 and 18, through 18, For we have not followed cunning device fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were our witnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, 
This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So that's the reference back to Mark chapter 9. Now I want you to notice some things about this portion of Scripture. Number one, the persons that were present here. The persons permitted to witness this event were truly privileged individuals. I've read this story many times and I would have loved to have been there that day. Amen? But there were three privileged people, chosen people, the more select of the loved, the more loved, if you would please. This inner circle of the disciples consisted of Peter and James and John. These same three were present when Jesus in the death chamber of the daughter of Jairus when Jesus raised her from the dead. These same three were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed sweat drops of blood for the sin and took the sins of the whole world in his body. The place of the occurrence, I believe God kept this place secret, unknown, uh, for sure, because people would worship the place rather than the person of Jesus Christ, God's Son. But I believe it was on Mount Hermon, because if you study Mark, Mark mentions white as snow, the mount was, and Mount Hermon is snow-capped. So I believe it was Mount Hermon, but it makes no difference. God didn't want it to be worshipped as a place that Jesus came and shown His excellency. The mountain scenery that I want to show you, Mark chapter 9, again, mountains are very important, and they're often chosen in Scripture by God to show His great doctrinal truths. For instance, when Abraham was to sacrifice his son Isaac, whom he loved, it was on the mountain Moriah. When God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, it was on Mount Horeb. When God came down in awful majesty in the giving of the law, it was on Mount Sinai. When Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal, it was on Mount Carmel. It was on Mount Zion, the ark and the tabernacle rested in David's day. It was on Mount Moriah, the temple was built. And Jesus was on mountain often in his work on this earth. And it will be on Mount Olive that Jesus will come back. So mountains are very important. The mountain scenery is very important to God. The preparation Jesus made for the transfiguration. That preparation was prayer. One main feature of Jesus' life on earth was prayer. I love to pray for people because I really believe that God's still in the prayer answering business. Amen? I really do. And I love to pray for people and I love to hear people People tell me of answered prayer uh, after they have prayed and God has answered prayer. But I was going through the scriptures uh, one time and I was studying it very carefully. How many times and how often Jesus prayed? And he prayed very often. But one main feature of Jesus' life on earth is prayer. When Jesus was baptized and before he entered into his earthly ministry, Jesus prayed. Before he set aside the twelve disciples, he prayed. In agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed. And even now, this is what I like about it, in uh, John 17, even now, Jesus is praying for you and I. 
And so it's very under, it's very important that we study and understand that Jesus is a God of prayer. Jesus lifted up his eyes in prayer and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. Jesus is our advocate with the Father. Even every life he intercedes for before the Father. And John and Luke chapter nine verse twenty eight tells us about this scene. And he came to pass about eight, an eighth day after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. Jesus made preparations for the scene first by prayer. I believe this. If you're going to do anything that's going to be everlasting for God, you've got to bathe it in prayer first. And if you pray first for what you want God to do, God will hear you and answer that prayer. I do know one thing. I don't have any power myself. I need God's power. Amen? And you've got to pray for it. You've got to ask for it. Notice the fifth thing I want to notice particularly here of the Savior's prayer. They were thanksgiving and petitions. Now, and we know that there could be no confession. Jesus had no sin to confess. No repentance in his case was possible. Jesus prayed for all those who would follow him. Jesus didn't have any sin to be praying about. He didn't have any confession of wrongdoing he had to pray about. You know what he prayed for? Thanksgiving. He prayed for petitions to be laid before God. You know what he's talking about? Do you ever pray for somebody else that God would bless them? That's what he's doing. God's praying for you that God will bless you. I think one of the greatest privileges of prayer is pray that God will bless somebody else. Just pray and ask God, bless somebody. And you know that somebody in particular has a particular need in their life and you go before God and lay those petitions before Him and say, Father, bless that person. That's what Jesus did in prayer. Note the characteristics represented at this scene in Mark chapter 9. In addition to the three favorite apostles who were merely spectators but not actors, properly speaking, here we have Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And I thought about that greatly as I studied. I said, now, there's got to be a reason that God chose these two to be with him. And so I started studying. These three represents the character, in this case three, uh, were number one, the lawgiver, Moses, the law restorer, Elijah, the law fulfiller, the Lord Jesus. Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law. God gave the law through Moses. God restored the law by Elijah. And God fulfilled the law by the Lord Jesus Christ. So here represents all that's necessary to fulfill the laws of God. Uh, I, I meet people all the time that think that they got to live a certain way to earn salvation. That's law keeping. You can't do that. There's no man on the face of this earth can keep the law. I, I try to live the best I can, but you'll find one thing that's prevalent in every human life we fail. Every one of us. 
we fail to keep what we want to do for God, we fail where we want to live for God, we can't do it. We ought to strive to do it. But we know we can't do it. So we need somebody that can do it. And Moses, God gave the law through, and then Elijah restored the law, but when Jesus came, He fulfilled the law. All that God requires for you and I in the law, God accomplished it for us. Also, Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. Both do, uh, doing homage to Lord Jesus, who represents the gospel. Now, notice again, Elijah represented one that never tasted death, but was transferred to heaven in a fiery chariot from the earth. And Elijah represents those who will be alive, remain till the coming of the Lord, who shall not sleep as others sleep, but who shall be changed. Elijah just went on to heaven. You know what I like about being a Christian? I ain't going to die. Amen? We're just going to be transferred to heaven. Elijah represents you and I as saved people uh, that's going to heaven. We ain't going to die. We're just going to be transferred to heaven. Moses represents those that die as mortals die, but where his body was laid, nobody knows. And only recorded it, the only thing that's recorded is God buried him. Amen? Now, here also is one, Jesus, that died in a violent death, and by wicked hands he died and was buried, his grave being made with the rich in his death, telling us it matters little how we die, neither does it matter where we are buried, in the churchyard, in the cemetery, in the desert sand, in the ocean death, uh, whether in the grave of the poor, or mausoleum of the rich, where the obscure privacy with funeral pomp uh, doesn't matter. What does matter if we are servants of God? We shall be the conquerors like Moses and Elijah and shall appear with Christ in glory. Amen? Here's what all this scene's about. Do you know what death is all about? It's just for a Christian, it's going to heaven. Amen? And to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. I was preaching that funeral yesterday. I made this mention. I said, you know, I, I listen to people talk about death all the time. And they talk about, boy, I'm so anxious to get to heaven. I want to see my mom. I want to see my daddy. They'll mention to the people that they want to see when they get to heaven. I'll guarantee you the first person any Christian will ever want to see is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why only Jesus and those two men was there at this particular scene. First thing they want to see is Jesus. Notice what the Bible says. And they said, uh, This is my beloved Son. And suddenly said, uh, Let no man, and they saw, say, and no man they saw save Jesus only with themselves. When I get to heaven, I'm going to bow at Jesus' feet. Amen. That's the first thing. And notice again, also in this scene, is a foreshadow of heavenly fellowship. In five, these five men besides Jesus at this scene, we have represented the saints of all times. Believers during the legal age, believers in the time of the prophets, believers in the days of the apostles, believers from all dispensations of all time will be there with us who believe. Now turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. 
And look with me, please, in verse 9 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof. Thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us under our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Amen? That's everybody. Here's what I'm trying to say. This scene represents everybody that's saved. Now, as we have been born the image of the earthly, we shall also be the image of the heavenly. Paul says, Now in our bodies dwelleth no good thing, but our bodies will be fashioned like unto Christ's glorious body. And these bodies, frail, bad health, beauty fade, and uh, our masculinity is gone, but then and there, there's a sudden change. Bride is a savior on the mountain of transfiguration. Every blemish shall be blotted out. Every wrinkle smooth. Every diseased expelled. The sightless eyeballs and the blind shall flash the light of an eternal day. The ear of the dead shall be unstopped. The tongue of the dumb shall sing. The lame man shall forever walk. The richest raiment of earth will be but rags compared with those robes of brightness. I don't know about you, but I'm getting to the place of life. You know, I, I don't like mirrors. <laughs> you stand before a mirror and you see every wrinkle you got. Amen? And the older we get, the more wrinkles we got, the more aches we got, the more pains we got. And we see ourselves changing. And our whole body is changing as we get older. And I think about this. One day we'll have a brand new body. And this scene is that... Notice when they saw Jesus in His glorified state. If I didn't have another scripture to go by, I would take this scripture and praise God this body's going to be changed. I'm going to have a glorified body. Amen? Someone wrote this little thing. Oh, for the robes of whiteness. Oh, for the tearless eyes. Oh, for the glorious brightness of the unclouded skies. Oh, for no more weeping within the land of love. The endless joy of keeping the bridal feast above. The last thing I want you to see about this scene is a subject of conversation. Now, if I had... If I could meet Jesus for a few minutes, if I could sit down by the fire and just talk with Jesus a little bit, I wonder, what would be your first conversation? What would you first thing would you talk about? You know what they talked about? His death, his burial, and his resurrection. He talked about his deceased to be accomplished at Jerusalem. Jesus was explaining to them Now go back to Mark for just a minute. In Mark chapter 9, and look with me please in verse 9 and 10. Mark chapter 9 and verse 9 and 10. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. 
And they kept that saying within themselves, questioned one with another, what the rising from the dead should mean. I believe the Lord, my soul, they would sit around and talk about, what are you going to do, Lord? Uh, you're going to, you say you're going to die? And he explained to them that he had to go to the cross and die for their sins. Now, Jesus' death was no ordinary death. Jesus' death was an exodus. Jesus was active in his own death. He said, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. So, number one, his death was voluntary. Number two, his death was vicarious, meaning he did not die for himself. Jesus died for all sinners. And many a martyr, martyr has died for the martyr's crown and praise. But Jesus did not die for himself. He died for others. Jesus underwent the bloody baptism of the cross for our sins, but not his own. Jesus' death was the gateway to eternal life. Jesus' death opened the door to heaven for us sinners. And Jesus is a perpetuation for our sins. His death is a ransom for our soul. The subject of that scene was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, God's only begotten Son. You know what the disciples was thinking? They thought that the king at that time and the Roman soldiers was going to kill their, uh, they thought their coming master and their ruler on this earth. And Jesus was explaining to them, He can't kill me. Amen? No man can take my life from me. I'm going to lay it down for you. That's salvation. And Jesus was explaining how simple salvation was. Now listen to me. Did you know, the, the, the whole thing is this. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ in His life, in His death, and in His resurrection? That's what this scene is about. You know where you take every sinner that you want to see saved? You take them to Jesus' death. You take them to His resurrection. And you take them to the new life in Christ Jesus. And that's what that scene represented. Now all that scene, as I said before... All that scene could not be possible without the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ had to come first, but then I tried to look for the future. I I know I always look back. I don't like to look back. I like to think about what what excitement is going to be tomorrow. Amen? I get up every day looking for something good today, and I don't worry about yesterday all the time. I want to think about what am I... And, I... and I think about Jesus died for me, but Jesus was born for me. He came in this world. But I don't want to dwell there. Thank God for that. But I want to look forward for the future. Amen. I'm going to see Him again. I'm going to have a glorified body with Him like He showed us there. What a wonderful time it's going to be. Amen. Let's pray. Father, bless the coming hour now we pray in Jesus' name. Have Your will and way in each of our life. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you.